Welcome to today's episode of Inside Startup Investing. On today's episode, I will be speaking with Haley Bryant, principal of Hustle Fund. Hustle Fund is a super early stage venture capital fund that in my view is helping to evolve forward the venture industry towards an improved state by democratizing the venture asset class through their Angel Squad program, building a more diverse team, and looking beyond Silicon Valley for amazing founders and builders. A few things I want you to listen for in this episode are first, that Hustle Fund has built an incredible program that you can join called Angel Squad, which allows you to join a group of fellow investors to preview deal flow the firm is looking at and co-invest at low minimums, which is something that the industry desperately needs more of. The second thing that I think is fantastic is getting Haley's view on being an investor outside of Silicon Valley. Haley is based in Washington, D.C. and has some great perspectives on what it means to be an investor beyond the valley and finding amazing founders in all pockets of our country, including some really interesting insights and on how the Southeast has actually had a lot more stability in terms of startup capital raising compared to the major traditional startup locales during this last venture market downturn. The last thing that I think founders and investors need to listen in for is Haley's perspective on VCs becoming more data-driven and focused on true business fundamentals rather than just getting excited about signals that may have raised money in the past but likely won't get you funding today without the revenues and financial performance to support. If you're an investor like me, I think you will learn a lot in this episode and hopefully find another opportune way to see more deal flow via the Angel Squad. So with that, let's get on to the show and welcome our guest, Haley. Haley, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. Chris, thanks for having me. So excited to be here. Absolutely. So Haley, for those of us who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you came to uh, be at Hustle Fund? Yeah, absolutely. So um, hi, I'm Haley. I'm an early stage investor at Hustle Fund, where we invest in hilariously early startups. Uh, before joining Hustle Fund last September, September 2022, I was an operator for a long time. I started my career uh, at Apple stores at the peak of the iPhone craze. Um, so led teams there for about five years. So there for many many launches, iPad, iPad, mini Apple Watch, and our small business team. And that's really where I started falling in love with startups. Uh, they adopted Apple far before enterprise companies. Uh, so I left my first startup in venture in 2015 when I became a mom, a tiny startup, productivity space, quick exit, um, then went to another uh, early stage startup. They got acquired last year. And then I moved on to a B2B SaaS content marketing agency. That's where I really got to learn more about SaaS metrics, startups equal growth, um, working with some amazing early stage high growth companies. And that's where I started angel investing. Um, very accidentally, actually, uh, a company with a similar mission to yours, but different tilts called Sacra um, was formed out of animals where the founder came to me and was like, I think I want to start a company. And I was like, you should do it. And can I invest? Um, the company democratizes access to private markets through doing startup interviews with early stage founders um, and doing deep dives on business models and analysis to kind of pair with the availability you have to all these different assets. Um, so that was the beginning of the journey, kept angel investing, didn't know a ton, made a co-investment with a hustle fund investor and found out about their angel investor community early days, 2021, um, joined initially as a member and then joined to build it out. And then the opportunity came up to join the team full-time as a VC in 2022. So uh, it's a jungle gym of a career, more than a ladder, <laughs> but um, so glad to be here. Let's, uh, let's hone in on one of the things you said, which is you guys back hilariously early startups. So what does hilarious mean to you? 
Yeah, and and uh, no no you know jokes aside, I know building a company is not super funny. It's a hard and long journey. Uh, we just try to not take ourselves too seriously because it is such a a long game. Um, so hilariously early is really often before there have been other investors. Um, we're the first institutional investor or first investor period. Uh, typically for the company, they've done some work on um, who their customer is. Right, they've done 50, 100 customer discovery interviews. They've maybe built out an MVP. Um, maybe there's some early signs of traction, a wait list, LOIs, or they just have early customers, but we're not looking for any crazy revenue numbers. Um, just someone with some earned secret within a market, within an idea space, um, and kind of the scrappiness and hustle to execute on it. So uh, we, we've invested at varying stages, but typically it's pre-seed. Love that. Um, so diving into the hustle fund, I, I, one of the things I've always really appreciated about you all is that you really make an effort to democratize access to the venture capital world. Um, and one of those ways in which you do that is through the Angel Squad. Can you kind of dive in and tell us more about what that is and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So Angel Squad was started by um, someone who came from Lyft, Brian Nichols, and started his own syndicate of Lyft alumni. Um, and kind of pitched our, our founding GPs on this idea of democratizing access to angel investing. What I think well, a lot of people in your audience know, but most people don't know, is that you can angel invest for as little as $1,000 or on some of these um, crowdfunding platforms for as little as $100, but it still can be quite an opaque process. So our goal is to really help angel investors get access to the learning, to feel confident in making decisions, to build a community, to share deal flow, to ask the questions that really aren't dumb, but we might be nervous to ask initially, um, to support founders and get closer to the companies that you're thinking about investing in or that you're actually skin in the game with, um, and then of course to invest. So we've grown to a community of about 1,700 people around the world. It's emerging fund managers, it's operators, uh, it's it's founders. It, it's really a wonderful mix of people. Uh, and we interview every person, but really looking for folks who are not a-holes, I'll say. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's the main thing and, and wanna learn and grow and support founders together. I love that, I think that's really cool. And then how does it work? Do they, do you meet on a monthly basis? Like what, what does it look like? Yeah, absolutely. So it's evolved. Um, but what we're, what we're doing currently, there's a, there's a mixture of ways to engage with the community. We have an online community for people to introduce themselves, ask questions, get support for their own portfolio companies and interact with the hustle fund investment team. We have weekly events, we have pitch events, so you can join live and talk with founders about what they're building. We do shark tanks um, and we do deal reviews almost in the opposite order, right? So deal reviews before we're ready to make a decision, we'll bring a GP on, Angel Squad will actually submit companies to get perspective from GPs, like mm. quick fire, and we'll bring up experts from within the community to share insights on climate tech or, or deep tech or consumer. Um, if we really like any of those companies, we'll actually invite them onto a shark tank. And then if we invest, there's an opportunity to co-invest with, um, with Hustle Fund. So it's kind of following that entire journey, but you're doing it in not in public, it's a safe space, um, but with a group of people who, who care, are committed, and you kind of see how they think. Um, so there are those events, there are live events in person um, in different areas across the world. And then we have a couple of flagship events every year, Camp Hustle, one in Saratoga, California, under the Redwoods, nice. and one in Bali, right by the beach. Um, and it's just a great, great time to connect with other investors um, and build relationships and, and have those 
conversations that like you really need to have to grow uh, in this space, right? If folks who are, are listening, because we have a, a pretty vibrant community of uh, investors who are really into angel investing, um, what would the steps they take to kind of look at potentially joining the angel squad? Yeah, totally. So you can actually just talk with a team member. If you go to hustlefund.vc slash squad, you'll learn more about, um, we've recently been featured in TechCrunch as the YC of angel investing. You can read more about how we work across these pillars of investing, supporting founders, networking and learning, um, and, and just schedule time to to chat. Uh, we, we'd love to learn more from your community and uh, are here to support. Not everyone joins to invest. Some people just want that that interaction. Well, one of the things that I, I really appreciate about the approach you're taking is I actually think having that, that crowd, having more people and more perspectives look at these investments uh, likely helps you uh, make less stumbles because I think when you have more perspectives, right, you learn and hear things from places that maybe you don't think about. Um, and can help you make better informed investment decisions, which oh I gosh, think is really, really important. Yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, I made 15 angel investments before I joined Angel Squad as a member. And as soon as I joined, I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, a solid 75% of my portfolio, I probably would not have invested in had <laughs> I seen more companies and just understood like what it really takes to be differentiated. So totally agree. And being able to ask those questions and go layers deeper than you can just by looking online. Um, and I think you're doing this too, is, is just so key. So yeah, would love to meet folks and, and chat more. One of the, the other issues that I've kind of taken with the venture capital ecosystem has been, you know, we've talked for, I think, 30 years now about getting more female and minority founders funded. And unfortunately, the needle, yes, the dollars are larger, but on a percent basis, really haven't changed. Yeah. Um, and if you look at this new ecosystem that's coming online, where we're changing the LPs by having it be everybody, we're seeing over 30% of funding go to female and minority founders, which is far better. And still, by the way, not where it needs to be. What do we need to do? What else needs to be done? I do think you're a part of the equation, but what more can we do to solve this problem, which is a big problem? Yep, yep. I, I, uh, I'm so glad that you're shining a light on it, Chris, and I agree that crowdfunding is one of the ways, one of the levers we can pull to just make the representation more balanced. Um, I, I think you're right around capital allocators being one piece and then a more data-driven approach being one piece, which we chatted about a bit before this call. Um, so on the capital allocator side, actually one of our portfolio founders who raised on Republic last year, Tiffany Defu, who founded The Crew, um, a community for career development for like middle management women, um, she was just appointed president of the Tory Burch Foundation and is focused on supporting women entrepreneurs. And I really think it's more stories like that people who have lived the journey of fundraising as an underrepresented founder um, who can align with founders, like give the real talk, help with tactics, tips, um, and, and, and give out money, right? Like for, for yep. the best businesses. So I think that that's like one great story. There are more and more funds popping up. There's Barclays Black Formation Capital in DC investing at the pre-seed. Um, Cherry Rock Capital in California is just launching a fund. Wellington Access as well. There are more and more of these funds coming out. Kate Broderick at um, W Fund focused on women. So I think capital allocators will be huge. Um, All Raise, which is a, a global organization working on doubling the representation of female founders and funders by 2030, is doing a lot of work in this space. Um, but but I think that is still just one piece, unfortunately. Um, Hopefully, you know, as more people 
are successful angel investors and, and follow on, um, there, yeah, there's there's more representation. But the data-driven approach, I think, is the other thing that's really interesting. There have been great reports recently from Endeavor, from Boom Beta, um, and from various universities in California around how data-driven capital allocators are much more likely to focus on underrepresented founders because mm. they're looking at the fundamentals of the business. And I think that's one of the main learnings from the last few years. It's like, okay, yeah, like you have all the signals that it would take to raise these huge rounds. But if you're not actually an efficient capital allocator, right? Because founders are capital allocators too. They're right. they're spending the money that LPs are giving to VCs, that VCs are giving to founders. Um, and if you don't have a business model that works, like you got to nail it before you scale it, then it's just not going to work. And I think that there's going to be more appetite to be data-driven as we go into this next era of VC, where capital is a little bit less accessible. And also, um, you know, I think founders are taking the reins in their own hands and using these crowdfunding platforms and realizing, well, if, you know, the, the traditional sources aren't going to support me, like, I'm going to find a way, I'm going to make this an obvious decision. Um, and then really only letting people in later stage who are aligned uh, from a values perspective and and supporting them. So I think those are a couple of things that it will take to make change here. The other thing I think is really cool is that you're based in Washington, D.C., um, which is not one of the like primary kind of, you know, venture startup ecosystems. Um, what do you think about seeing more geographic dispersion of companies being built? And then what has been your experience in being in D.C. as a venture capitalist? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I love DC. I've been in the area for about 15 years now, even though I've only been in venture for 18 months. And one of the things that's been really cool to see as we've seen this pullback from the very frothy market of 2020-2021 is the DMV specifically and then the Southeast more broadly has been much more stable in terms of the venture capital that's been that's come out of the area. Um, so we've seen much less of a pullback than the ecosystem at large, you know, Silicon Valley and, and beyond and other major hubs. So I am really hopeful. Um, best kept secret. I'm going to share it with your your group here. Um, we have over 200 VCs in D.C. and the southeast is exploding with VCs, too. So I think having capital allocators here is, is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, we're attracting more and more talent, not just coming out of, you know, Thomas Jefferson High School and Johns Hopkins University and Georgetown and UVA and Virginia Tech, um, but also in exited founders who are coming back mm. because DC is such a great place to build a family. Um, and I think that's going to help us recycle more of that talent and learnings back into the ecosystem. Um, but there are so many great people here who are making a difference. There's the Revolution team, um, Steve Case's fund that specifically invests outside of major um, you know, funded cities. Uh, one of their VCs, James Barley, I had a great article recently on founder market geography fit and kind of mm. leveraging the unique access you have to say airports or major enterprise customers or other resources in the geo that you're in. Um, and if you look at vertical SaaS, actually a lot of the best vertical SaaS companies have come out of non Silicon Valley cities because they're they're using some earned secret from within their geography. Um, so I think there's there's just a lot of great stuff happening here. There's always here DC Startup Week. And, and I think all of these things combined with all of the talent coming back, the exited founders, these new startups um, is is going to put us on the map much longer term. From your position, you get to see a lot of deal flow. Um, are you seeing anything around like with distributed work, right? Are you seeing 
more companies getting founded that are leaning right into being kind of remote first companies and being able to hire the best talent wherever it may be? Or are you seeing a lot of companies kind of say, we're forming in DC, we are a DC company wherever it may be? It's, it's really interesting. This is actually, I think, um, something for companies to think about in terms of um, like just fundraising strategy. I mean, I do think it's a lot of teams are distributed you don't have to be based in one place. It's so easy to travel. It's so easy to get on a Zoom call now. But thinking about like, where is there access to capital and where can you maybe be a big fish in a small pond? And where is there the best alignment for what you're building in terms of the customer base that you need, the strategic input that you need? Um, I, I would expect more founders to kind of think about this especially with the pullback in availability of venture sure. capital. Um, so I, I do see more remote first companies. I think part of that too is just like capital efficiency. If they're able to raise smaller rounds or not at all, you, you really have to be lean, scrappy, and, and think about resources um, that you can access in, in a much smarter way. But I think that leads to more capital efficient businesses. There's a great report from Cowboy VC just a couple of weeks ago on how the capital efficiency of, of unicorns has really <laughs> declined in the last decade. Um, and, and this is the swing back that we're having. So I think that that remote first point is a good one. And uh, we will see more companies focus on these other ecosystems because of that. No, I think on a practical level, you know, I, I for a while was living out in the Bay Area running this company and it was far harder and more stressful just because of the cost of living. Quite literally, to live requires like 30 to 40% more. Now I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and it's just like you could breathe a sigh of relief, right? And But literally on a budget basis, like it is far more affordable to run a business in a place like this than in those traditional environments that are just overheated. Well, totally. And then just the, um, the access to other community members. There's a great book called Startup Communities by Brad Feld, and he talks about the importance of having that proximity, that density of people. I got to visit Durham in December, and I, I was catching up with another VC at uh, just, you know, briefly over breakfast, and a few people walked in and he, he knew all of them. And that, that's so cool. And, and it, I think that's what it takes, um, these moments of serendipity, to be able to yep. build community and then you know, business off of that. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was just some of the, you know, obviously artificial intelligence right now is really big. It's um, but where are you, you know, and, and one could argue that potentially some of the investors are getting a little in over their heads, right? Uh, but where are you seeing value outside of artificial intelligence? Where are you seeing value and opportunity? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, AI, uh, ML, definitely an extension of capability for companies. And we will see some amazing companies come out of this space beyond OpenAI and Anthropic. Um, but being an AI company alone, I, I agree. I, I tend to stay away from the hype, right? Like very Warren Buffett-like in, in that respect. Uh, things I'm really interested in right now... Um, I love consumer problems. I'm very long consumer. That same cowboy VC report kind of talked about this flip-flop from um, many of the best venture outcomes from 10 years ago being a consumer. Now everything's enterprise. Like you have to imagine that pendulum swinging mm -hmm. back. And I do think part of that is because of um, 
AI ML, making it so much easier to create these truly personalized and automated consumer experiences. Um, but also there, there's so many other interesting technologies available. Um, so I really like B2B2C businesses. I think there's a lot of opportunity in marketplaces really coming down to where can you get distribution leverage? Um, mm-hmm. It takes a founder who knows, you know, that, that has the experimentation frameworks to succeed, knows what they're getting into, can get some distribution leverage. Um, but I, I just still think there are so many unsolved problems or things that need to be disrupted from the last 10 to 30 years. Um, so that's one. Also, we're, you know, we focus B2B SaaS, FinTech, Digital Consumer Health, Web3. We don't focus on built world, but I do think there's so much interesting stuff happening at the intersection of, you know, digital experiences and in-person experiences, especially with centers. Mm. So, uh, you know, this is one of those DC things, home of American dynamism. Um, I do think we'll spend more time exploring built world ideas because I think that's part of where you're able to build a moat. And that's a big question as, as you're, you're, you kind of pointed out, Chris, with AIML companies, where is the moat? Like, is there a defensibility to be a long-term sustaining business? Um, so those are some things I'm thinking about. Well, one of my theses, and uh, it's absolutely self-serving, but is that in many ways, we probably don't need that many more AI companies. We need more data companies because mm-hmm. data is what fuels the AI to do whatever it does, right? And without good data, AI is completely useless and worthless. It's it's what you feed the brain, right? It's yeah. just like good food. Um, so my thinking is that a lot of the, the most valuable companies, and we are a data company, so again, self-serving, but we'll actually be the data companies that can be leveraged by AI to produce whatever end result yes. you may want. Yes, that's really interesting. And I, I do love um, seeing that thought around compounding value and building a moat in the companies that we look at over the very long term, right? They're like, it's a phased approach. Here's phase one. It's like getting the usage, getting the proprietary data. Phase two is starting to extract value from that data. Phase three, conquer the world kind of thing. Yep. Um, so I, I do think we'll see a lot of, a lot of that. Um, and, and again, I just think there are so many unsolved problems that you will be able to get great data from, especially on that consumer level where you can get a lot of data quite quickly. The other thing I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. So again, I, maybe we don't need a million AI companies, but leveraging AI internally within a company, do you think the construct of frankly, how much money companies need to raise and how big they get is going to change in a dramatic way where you could run a lot more through AI based systems and not have to hire a whole bunch of people? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I, my background is uh, I ran a bootstrap content marketing agency, right? Like 20% net margin, maybe it wasn't our, our North star metric, right? Customer success was, but we thought in a very disciplined way about that. Um, and I think we're seeing more capital efficient businesses built in this era that are thinking similarly. Um, I think mid journey Instagram are shining examples of very small companies with humongous outcomes. Um, AI inside of the company is something that enables that. And I actually think a lot about um, that the Seven Powers book by Hamilton Hemler. He talks about the seven different moats that you can build. And one of them is around a, like a process moat, like think Toyota. Mm. And I actually think that um, there are process moats potentially within companies and how they build processes to run in a way in which, you know, it's you know, the, the, the employee headcount to revenue ratio, you know, it's like one to 1 million or, or something insane. Like, I think that's what we will potentially get to. Yeah. Um, that said, 
right? <laughs> for venture capital to work, you need to take money throughout the venture stack. So we're going to hear very mixed things about this from mm-hmm. VCs who, you know, like need founders to take money to, to exist. Um, of course, like deep tech or life sciences, you really need a lot of money to power those businesses. But I agree that there are a lot of opportunities um, in software, you know, or tech enabled services to run much leaner, lower um, one of the nuances, I think, looking at the Bessemer Venture Partners' recent sort of rethinking of rule of 30, 40, which is kind of adding profit to your growth rate and trying to get to 40, is the rule of X, which kind of says that, yes, profit's very important, but so is growth. And I think mm-hmm. the question is, you know, at what point do people want to take venture capital? NerdWallet's a great example. One of our GPs came from NerdWallet. They waited a long time to raise venture. They had the model and they're like, let's pour money on it to scale it. Um, I think we see more of that coming out Mm. of this, either raising a little bit early and then not raising again or waiting a long time and then founders have leverage. Um, And I think we're going to see great opportunities through these crowdfunding platforms as well. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So do you see a world where, you know, in the last, I'd say, even year and a half, we've definitely seen many more venture-backed businesses, Andreessen-backed businesses, all the big ones, like listing on these platforms to do community rounds as well. Do you see the worlds converging more? Is that something that you kind of see on the horizon? Um, I, I do. I mean, I think, right, like VCs at each stage are underwriting to a very specific multiple. Um, at pre-seed, it's 100x for us. Uh, yep. And it's different for different funds depending on their construction, which is why I think part of the challenge of the last era of VC, 2020, 2021, you know, we look at Tiger Global playing a totally different game, underwriting to different outcomes, able to give these crazy valuations. Um, what's great about angel investors is like we can decide to have different underwriting needs as well. Um so when I'm making an angel investment, I may not be right underwriting to 100x. I might say, oh, I think this is a great 10x business. So I do think we'll see more because as individual capital allocators, we have more flexibility. Um, and, and I think, too, it goes back to wanting to control your destiny as a founder. Um, and, and that's one way to do it through platforms like Republic, like WeFunder. What do you think, though? You're so close to this. I, I absolutely think the world's compared. So my actual belief is that and this is like a 10 to 15 year worldview, but is that eventually, one, the rules will change where any non-accredited investor could also invest in a fund and funds like Hustle Fund, Andreessen, all of them will actually kind of be like publicly listed funds and act more like hedge funds and traditional venture funds with buying and selling. And nearly all private companies will have liquidity mechanisms built in and secondary sales directly in brokerage accounts. Well, that um, is so, that's so interesting. I mean, and, and seeing the secondary market heat up over the last couple of years, I, I think you're definitely onto something with that, Chris. That's And like, we're, we're so in the infancy of secondary markets. Like Republic actually just launched one that's like, absolutely brand new start engine has a marketplace now where you could sell secondary shares but the crazy thing is like you actually see momentum and people buying and selling shares um and i think building in those liquidity mechanisms where hey hustle fund if you could get a you know a 30x in nine months on a company you just invested in actually get real liquidity wouldn't you love to have that and have reporting requirements built in and data being shared like there's so many interesting things that i think will start to occur where the infrastructure that's being built for the crowdfunding market actually just becomes the infrastructure for private market investing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, I'm thinking kind of like agree with you. I think Sandhill Markets is also thinking a lot about this. Um, yep. Yeah. And we're in phase one, and this is like not for the faint of heart. This is going to be, like I said, a 10, 15, 20 year reinvention of how private capital markets work because the whole world is just becoming more open, right? Yeah. So with technology, everything becomes open and accessible. And by the way, it's not just private companies, it's real estate, it's it's everything. It's debt capital markets. All of that becomes accessible. Yes. Um, and we've seen that. We're starting to see that. I think the secondary, like that's been the missing piece, but you're yep. right. It is in its infancy. So I'm so excited to see how it plays out. And I'm so glad you're leading the way. Um, I just, I love what you're building. No, thank you. So last thing um, for folks who, I know you kind of mentioned it early on, but let's just hit one more time. If they want to join the angel squad, how can they do that? Where should they go? Yeah, we'd love to see you on hustlefund.vc slash squad. You can sign up to meet our team. No pressure to join. Just get more information um, and, and would love the opportunity to help you support founders, learn, build community, and invest. And I think if you're an investor and you're using the King's Crab platform and you're into the investing, uh, it's just another wonderful way to, one, grow your community and, two, grow your education um, and three, potentially find some really, really exciting investment opportunities. So I highly recommend you go check them out. I think it's a wonderful thing that they're building. Um, Haley, thank you so much for your time and insights. Really appreciate it. Chris, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.